Scripture reading is again out of the book of Jude this morning. We are in the book of Jude. We're going to read the first ten verses. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay with the limit, within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to even worship you. And Lord, I ask that as we uh, sit and we go through your word, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, that you would be in the midst of us, that you would care for our hearts and you would guide our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, I pray for our Sunday school classes and, uh, and our, even our nursery right now, Lord, that you would be with all of our volunteers and teachers, uh, those who are taking care of your people this morning, Lord, that you would uh, bless their hearts and bless their minds this morning. Lord, we ask that you would, again, just be the central figure of the rest of this service and the rest of our day. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you. It is with great joy to tell you I only have three more weeks with my boot. I'm sure that thrilled your heart to know. But anyway, the passage that Pastor Steve read for us, obviously in the book of Jude, is where we are at. But we're not going to begin there this morning. I want you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, specifically in chapter 23. 
you get Psalms and, and you have Proverbs and you have the Song of Psalms and then you come to Isaiah and you find Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. And you may be wondering, why are we starting there? Well, I trust by the time we get finished this morning, you'll understand why we're beginning here. But Isaiah, or Jeremiah chapter 23, I want to read just a couple of snippets from here. First is from verse 16 to verse 22, and then we will go down to verse 28 to verse 32. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak of visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to hear and to see his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Now let's go down to verse 28. Let the prophet who has dreamed tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Now from reading that, if you go back to the book of Jude, where we are spending some time, you see some similarities as to what Jude is sharing. And in fact, 
Jude is picking up when what he has already said in the previous few verses. He's described the circumstance, if you will, in the past that has sounded out a warning to God's people. We see that in verse 4 of the book of Jude, where, where he says, forgive me, not verse 4. Yes, verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. And yet, he says, nevertheless, in this like manner, these people have crept in. They're relying on their dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Wow. That's verse 8. And as you continue to read from verse 8 to verse 10, you come to the end of the passage and you see this phrase, woe to them. The first three words of verse 11, woe to them them well so as we make our way through this short letter we, we we're just taking small snippets I, I know that I don't even know if that word is used anymore small snippets but we're taking just portions of it but we dare not lose sight of the forest due to the trees because remember that Jude is challenging these people to pay attention. He is causing them to be awakened to a situation, to a problem that is bringing decimation to the church or churches. And we don't know for sure who Jude is writing to other than believer people. But yet he's warning them of something that has been happening. And so we know in our previous meetings, we have discussed Jude's warning, if you will, an appeal, as he says. And Jude displays the real issue in this infiltration. They have perverted the grace of God. And they have turned it into immorality. And they have even denied Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. So... I would go even further, dear people, to say this. That we may even find ourselves saying, I would never do that. I would never do that. There's always the temptation when we come to read the word of God and we, and we find these particular judgments or temptations in the word of God. We always come there thinking that I would never do that. We would do well if we would pay attention to the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 where he says, you ought not to think of yourselves more highly than you are. Be careful. In fact, as we approach the season of what we call the resurrection, it's even during the Passion Week as Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and they're eating. And Jesus even says to them, one of you is going to deny me. Oh, gee, that can't be 
that can't, no, is it me? Is it me? And, and, they, and they went around the room. Is it, is it me, Lord? Am I going to do it? Well, so here we are. We're going to move on to this passage this morning and try to make some sense out of some interesting things in verses 8 through 10. So who are these people? That's the title of the message if you need to have it. But who are these people? Well, we recognize that they're church people. They're in the church. They are, if you will, influential people. Jude describes them as being ungodly people. They're also fearless people, and they're unashamed people because of all of these characteristics. Jude says, contend for the faith. Well, but when you get to verse 8, even though Jude has laid out the history, it says, nevertheless, Despite all the biblical history that has been highlighted, these individuals refuse. They refuse to choose. They choose instead to rewrite history with their dreams. The Jude would say, hey people, wake up. Be be aware of these kinds of people. They're in your congregation. And he goes on, and their intent is to sweep you away from that which you know to be true to a place where you no longer hold the word of God as being your authority. Well, these people are marked by characteristics that lead them to say that if you're not alert, you may be swept away with them. They may even say, well... (laughs) We don't really pay much attention to the Bible anymore. We have visions. We have dreams. It's the appeal of the mystic. It's the appeal of the person who is able to draw attention to himself or herself. They say, we we don't need to deal with the Bible. We go direct We have this fresh revelation. Or here's a new twist. Or here's what this really means. I I know you have your Bibles and you probably know a little bit about it. But if you come to my study, I can tell you what what it really means. You may have even come across someone like this. I had an earlier conversation with an individual I've never met until I spoke to him on the phone. He gave me his name as Dave. I I don't think his name really was Dave because as the phone call came in, it wasn't a Dave name. It was something else. But anyway. And he had questions about... God. He even said when he was 13 years old that he asked Jesus to be his Savior. He says, I've read the Bible through three times, and he says, now I can't believe that there's a God. 
Wow. What happened? What happened? Now, those of you in our Wednesday night Bible study, you know we talked about the ontological. Shake your head for us. Say yes. Amen. The ontological, the teleological arguments that there is God. Everything has a form. Everything has a purpose. And then I told them about Hebrews that he even sent forth his son. Oh, I know all of that. But how do you believe in a God that you can't see? Oh, this is a struggle, isn't it? When we're looking for the mysterious, instead of taking by faith and the authority of the word of God. How does one not recognize Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God? They've been twisted somehow, some way. Pray for him. He's supposed to call back this next week that we can establish a time that I can meet with him. At least he likes to drink coffee so he's not totally lost. (laughs) We can discuss things over a cup of coffee. And so isn't that the problem that, that Jude is referencing here? Something has happened. Things have gotten twisted. And yet as we continue on, we notice that a thing or something, this isn't new. What Jude is dealing with is not new. That's what he said in chapter 4, or verse 4. This is something that was written about a long time ago, and that's why we went to Jeremiah. Did you catch it in Jeremiah? Well, the prophets were saying, Oh, you don't want to listen to God? That's okay. Your life's going to be just fine. Or you want to go on with your your sinful ways? Oh, that's okay. Everything's going to work out just peachy. I don't think Jeremiah used those exact words, but you catch the thought. And God says, no. I disregard the prophets. In fact, if you continue to read Jeremiah, you're going to come across a chapter where God even tells Jeremiah, don't even pray for them anymore. I'm done. Wow. So what do we have here? Well, these prophets, we have dreams. We have visions. We have the answers. And your life is going to be really, really, really good. But in verse 8, you'll notice three things. You'll notice three basic charges against these individuals. Jude writes that they pollute, they reject, and they slander. Pollute, reject, slander. Let's take the first one in verse 8. They pollute. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, or they pollute it. They pollute it. You don't have to go far. Just go back one verse. And it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 18 and 19. We looked at that last week, but 
what we found is a complete loosening of the boundaries of the framework of sexual morality. Uh, you know the story well. In fact, a complete overturning of that which God has given for the abiding perfection and the well-being of humanity has been destroyed. They polluted it. And these individuals that do that, Jude says, they were doing it then, and here you will notice they're polluting things now. Now. I was aghast, and it takes a lot for me to sit back and, and say, this is crazy. We, we don't have any, you know, major satellite or anything. We have what's called a, a, a thumb drive. We, I, I, I choose not to look at a lot of stations. But an advertisement came up, and here's the title of the new program. It's called Drag Race. Has nothing to do with cars, by the way. It's a program that the contestants apparently are supposed to choose which drag queen is the best. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Believe me, I'm not watching it. I don't have to. But they've polluted the very function of what God has established as a man and a woman. And you know, as we all have heard, some of the latest Supreme Court justices questioned, they can't even give a demonstration or a definition of a woman. Oh, it's, it's not just in Jude's time, dear people. It's our time. They pollute. Secondly, in verse 8, they reject. They reject. Well, what is it? And you'll notice in verse 6 that it highlights the fact that the angelic rebellion of Genesis chapter 6. What does it mean? Well, these angelic beings overstep their boundaries. It tells for us in here, because of this, they're chained in everlasting darkness and they are awaiting judgment. Why? Because they left their own position of authority. They rejected God's position for their lives. And now they are chained in outer darkness, awaiting the day of judgment. Well, we got pollute, we got reject. What about slander? Uh, now, this is a little bit difficult. This is the one where we have to spend just a little bit of time, and I trust we'll not bore you half to death. But they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In denying Jesus Christ and his proper place in his life, these people are slandering our Savior's name. In fact, I would dare say they even slander and even disregard the word of God. Now, Pastor, where, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked that question. 
Because what you need to do is on your, and that wonderful slip that Diane puts in your, in, your, in your bulletin there, just copy down these verses and you go back and look at them. You'll notice the phrase in verse 8, they blaspheme the glorious ones. What in the world is that there for? Well, write down 2 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. And you'll come to notice as you read those later on this afternoon, if you're looking for a place to take a nap, this is a good time to take it. Then it says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. When you let Scripture interpret Scripture, Jude uses that phrase, Peter used it. In reference to what? Well, now you have to go to Acts chapter 7 and in verse 53. And there you'll know that it, you'll discover that Stephen is condemning those who are about to stone him and he's saying these words, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow! That should get us our attention. What do you mean the law was delivered by angels? Oh, now I got your attention. Now you got to go to Galatians 3.19. And it says there, God says, that the law of God was put in place through the angels. Through the angels. And then you capsulize all of it with Hebrews 2, verse 2. And it is there that the writer of Hebrews, in a similar way of writing as Jude did, says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Why? Lest we drift away from it. So what is this thing about blaspheming the glorious ones. Well, they're slandering the angels who bring, who brought the word. So in reality, they're slandering the word of God. Remember, Jeremiah wrote about the prophets who were supposed to be speaking the word of God, and they're saying, oh, don't worry about it. Your life is really, really, really going to be good. Nah, God's not going to bring you judgment. It's okay. Do your own thing. Have it your way. Oh, now we're talking even now, aren't we? How treacherous we are walking on this kind of path that when we pollute when we reject and when we slander the word of God we are on a slippery slope of destruction and, and that's what was happening they were questioning these people they were questioning the authority of the word of God and I'm assuming 
that the reason Jude mentions this is in relationship to the role that was assigned to the angels in the giving of the law. Because after all, the one thing that these people, these certain people are doing is detaching themselves from the law of God and therefore if the angels stand at the forefront of obedience, as it were, then they didn't want anything to do with it. Oh. And this, of course, ties in very closely with what we see in verse 5. And where their people had been led out of Egypt... And yet they refused to obey God to go into the promised land. We can't do it. They literally began to slander the very covenant that God established with them. No. Well, when you come to verse 9, now we get into something even deeper. <laughs> Notice what it says. I just want to draw our attention to it. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was, dis was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemy judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, where did Moses get into this thing? How in the world? Jude, what are you talking about? Well, Oh, there's so much you've got to do on your own study. I don't, got, I don't have time. Well, I have time, but all of you would leave before I'm finished. If you go to Daniel, the book of Daniel, specifically chapter 10 and chapter 12, you will realize that Michael is the protectant angel for the nation of Israel. God has established him in that role. He is described as that. Okay, that's not too hard to understand, Pastor. But what about this Moses thing? What, disputing with Satan about the body of Moses? What in the world's going on here? Where do you find that in the Word of God? Well, let me tell you, you don't. But there is a very interesting, extra-biblical, though there's only snippets of it left. It's called the Assumption of Moses. It's the apocryphal. It's an apocryphal writing. We don't know who wrote it, but apparently it highlights what Deuteronomy 34 leaves out. Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, talks about the death of Moses. And it says God buries him, but no one knows where the, where the place is. To this day, no one knows where Moses was buried. Well, what happened to him? Oh, well, all I can do is at least give you something of this. The assumption of Moses. According to Jewish tradition, they would have known this. According to Jewish tradition, the devil argued with Moses or with Michael over the body of Moses. Well, we know that. That's what it says, doesn't it? They would have known that. As Judas writing this, they would have known, oh, yeah, I, I, I got that. It's the assumption of Moses. Okay, well, let's go on. 
The argument, presumably, was about Moses being allowed into heaven. And the devil was saying, Moses should not be allowed to be going into heaven because Moses murdered that Egyptian guy. Remember that? And therefore, I don't think he should be allowed into heaven. Well, who in the world is Satan to say that? But anyway. So Michael refuses to side with the devil, and he defers to the almighty God, El Elyon, as the lawgiver and the judge. He doesn't make himself, Michael doesn't make himself the authority and say, oh, I, I, I'm one of the chief angels. Remember, I was the one who brought law. I should be the one to determine who and who doesn't get into heaven. No, Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Now, if you want something of a parallel passage, now you got to go to the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. Oh, this is interesting. There, in Zechariah chapter 3, Satan is disputing against the high priest named Joshua. Now he's not Joshua of the book of Joshua. This is a high priest. And Satan is saying, I don't think he should serve. He's a dirty, filthy, rotten person. But there you will find the phrase. The angel said, the Lord rebuke you. And then God said, Bring the good clothes. Dress him up. In other words, God says, I'm the determiner of things that deal with heaven. Not you, Satan. Not you, Michael. Nobody but me. And now you got the picture of what Jude is talking about here? In other words, even though they the these these crazy people, these ungodly people, speak against the glorious ones. Jude says, Michael, who is a glorious one, he is a high glorious one, he didn't even think or even say that he was the determiner. No, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Michael recognizes that not even he can declare Moses innocent. He simply didn't dare to because he recognizes that the only, the sovereign, almighty, gracious God can do that. Dear people, we ought to be careful in saying such phrases as that person is hopeless. Who are we to even declare such things? God is the determiner. He is the one. Well, that's why verse 9 is here. If the archangel Michael couldn't speak on the basis of his own authority, on what possible authority could these people speak, these certain people who reject and deny the Lord and Master Jesus? What right do they have? Hmm. Well, 
verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They sneer at anything they can't or won't understand. And by doing that, they find themselves living by animal instincts. In some ways, we've just degraded the animals, haven't we? <laughs> I would want to do that. But they want to call their own shots. They want to run out in the middle of the road as you're approaching. As many deer. I almost hit a pheasant the other day. Wild, crazy thing come running out at me. I said, son, you will be on my table. But it flew up and went over the top of me. Thank the Lord. I really think, I really think they have a contest. Have you ever thought about that? The right of adultship in animal kingdom is, can you make it across the road in front of Pastor Doug? By the way, I have stopped slowing down for squirrels. They've destroyed my bird feeders. I'll hit them. I'll hit them. They will not go on to their exalted table. No. Well, such things as what Paul or Jude tells us. They that reject, they that pollute, they that slander are acting nothing more than animals. How deadly. Well, we are moving along in the book of Jude, and at the close of this morning, I want to try to ask you a few questions, if I may. It's this. Surely, for some reasons that I or we even can recognize, at this period in the Western culture in the United States of America, if there was ever an expression of the reality of what happens to a society, to a life, to a family, to an individual that turns its back on the truth of the living God, it's here written for us in the pages of these scriptures. The problem as they saw it was the word of God and a call to obedience was something that had to be set aside. And so the result of rejecting God's perfect plan leaves them in the realm of irrationality. And here's my questions to you. Is your faith focused on obeying the perfect plan of God? Or are you at the threshold of rejecting God's perfect plan? Are you chasing after things of this world in hopes to satisfy your fleshly desires? Or are you pursuing the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ? Are the things you're chasing after dragging you away from Christ? Or are they drawing you closer 
to Christ? And are the words of the scriptures your guide? Or are you hearing and following the words of man? Certainly the words of the letter of Jude wrote are not new, but they are timely. In fact, what Jude is saying, or writing if you will, was of great importance as it is even now. One of the key issues, dear people, is this. When one disregards the word of God as one's authority for life, then that one is on the path of God's punishment. And I would say to you that path is not where you want to be. And the only off-road from that path is repentance and confession of sin. Where are you this morning? May we pray. Loving Father, I know that difficult passages cause us to to want to reel away from them, to cast them aside. But this morning's passage, as difficult as it is, is still vital for us. Oh, I pray, oh God, that we would not be like these who are called certain people, ungodly, blasphemers, of the glorious ones. They pollute, reject, and slander. Oh Lord, as we look into your word, may we never come away thinking that that would never happen to me. But would we be like the Apostle Paul? To recognize that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. How I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be tender to your spirit. And would you graciously lead us along as a congregation that we would willingly Stand firm on the truth of the scriptures. For it is there that we really get to know you more. And I ask these things. In the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen.